Georgia Football, Classic Cinema and Omelets Podcast with your host, Steve Shafini. Steve. Elderly Jewish me, get off that ledge. We have lots to live for. Oh, hi. You have reached the Internet's number one podcast for Georgia Football Talk, Classic Cinema Analysis, and Omelet Recipes. I like to call it Georgia Football, Classic Cinema and Omelets. Just don't call me late for breakfast. Hello? All right. Uh, Georgia loses to, wait, I gotta say who I am. I'm Steve Schifini, your host of Georgia Football, Classic Cinema, and Omelets. Vanderbilt beats Georgia 17-16. Let that sink in for a second. I'm gonna say it again. Vanderbilt beats Georgia at home, at homecoming, 17-16. In the... Seven weeks we've been doing this podcast. This is the third time I've had to ask myself, is this the worst Georgia loss I have ever seen in my life? Is this the worst Georgia loss in history? Oh, boy. Uh, What's your excuse this week? Rookie head coach? Freshman QB? Noon kickoff? I've heard them all. I think we're out of excuses by now. A homecoming loss to Vanderbilt... In a game that ended because Georgia could not convert a fourth in inches with the best stable of running backs in the country is not acceptable. Fourth and one, what do you do? Here comes a pitch play to 175-pound slot receiver Isaiah McKenzie. You have Nick Chubb. You have Nick Chubb. He's the most bruising running back in the country. You have Sonny Michelle, the best backup in the country. Freshman Brian Herrian is actually averaging more yards per carry than either. And Jacob Eason threw for 346 yards, a career high. What do you do? You do a pitch play to Isaiah McKenzie on fourth and inches, which was denied and the game ended. I looked over and I was like, well, what happens now? Don't we get a fifth down? The fact that the game ended that way really didn't even... Hit me. I was at the game. I'm sitting in these like highfalutin alumni seats, which you know, I got because obviously I'm a famous podcaster, duh. Um, and I'm like on the seventh row of the 45 yard line. These are like fantastic seats. But I got to tell you, the alumni section was like a mortuary all day. And the team was like that. The Walking Dead just slept walked through the whole game. Even when Vanderbilt took the lead in the fourth quarter, it was like we didn't even take the game seriously. So many people, especially me, complained. Coach Rick's teams come out unintense. They don't have fire. They don't have passion. They come out unmotivated. They sleepwalk through lesser opponents. What the fuck was that? After Nickel State, you don't learn your lesson? You almost lost to an FCF school. What's it going to take? 
a homecoming loss to Vanderbilt. So, so far in the Kirby Smart era, we have one of the worst blowouts in school history. We have one of the most heartbreaking finishes in history. A near loss to an FCS school. And now a homecoming loss to Vanderbilt. <sighs> so, you know, maybe, maybe Kirby Smart does win a national championship. Maybe he's the guy. Maybe we'll forget all about this one day. But year one in the Kirby Smart era is a failure, okay? You're talking about turning around the battleship. It takes time to turn around the battleship. The Commodores sank our battleship. And, you know, this is a more like the fucking Titanic. So far. He has time to turn it around, blah, blah, blah. It's too small a sample size. It's only seven games in. But I get tired of saying this every week. And if you look at the things that we've been saying week in, week out, Bad offensive line play, crippling, crippling special teams, inability to establish the run, questionable clock management, and crazy-ass play calling every week. That's what worries me about this regime. We've gotten worse week in, week out. We've been regressing every week. Our best game was week one against North Carolina, and you can see there what we had to improve upon, especially glaring in the Nichols State game week two. And Georgia and the coaching staff have not improved on it. I am tired of hearing about the 2013 recruiting class. Well, we had one bad one in the last 20 years. We're going to blame it on that. People are still blaming Coach Rick. How good did those nine wins that Coach Rick took away look? All right. And I also, I don't want to hear that Nick Saban went seven and six his first season in Alabama. Because the year before, Mike Shula was six and seven. Or was it Francione? Regardless, he improved Alabama by one game. Granted, it's tough taking over a team that averages 9.7 wins a year, but I haven't seen any improvement. I haven't even seen the ship steadying. I've seen nothing but a regressing program so far. So I don't want to hear about rebuilding because this team won nine games last year and they're bringing in a top 10 class yet again. They're in the eighth ranked recruiting class in the country. So I want to hear about 2013, because however depleted we are, talented offensive line, we're not as bad as Vanderbilt or Nickel State or Missouri, okay? You think we don't have the talent? South Carolina doesn't have the talent. They managed to beat Vanderbilt. First-year head coach, well, Jim McElwain seemed to do okay, taking over a seven-win Florida team, improving on them. Freshman quarterback, if anything's not the problem this year, it's Jacob Eason. Noon kickoff? Oh, for Christ's sake. I've never heard a fan base bitch so bad. Well, guess what? When your team sucks and you lose to Vanderbilt at home and get blown out by Ole Miss, uh, you don't get to be on TV at 3.30. Those are, that's for the good teams, okay? We're going to have more noon kickoffs. Every goddamn game the rest of the year is going to be at noon. I got up there at what? I left at 8 in the morning with my 70-year-old father. Stan, I flew 800 miles for this shit. Sorry, Dad. Ah. <laughs> uh. Them's the breaks. Pops picks the best games. Uh, last year it came down for the Missouri game, which we won 9-6. So there was one touchdown in two Georgia games that he's attended. <sighs> so there's no reason to really ask ourselves yet again in seven weeks, was Kirby Smart the right hire? Now I know the, the jury's still out, the future's unwritten, whatever uh, cliche you want to use. However, keep in mind we have to question whether Greg McGarrity hired Kirby Smart for the right reasons. We know he was interviewing at South Carolina, and we didn't want a Georgia guy to get away to South Carolina. And, of course, South Carolina hired another Georgia guy, Will Muschamp. 
Um, I think Ray McGarity was afraid of Kirby Smart being the next breakout star in coaching and letting one of our own get away. So keep in mind, the only assistant coaches that have gone right to head coach in the SEC and have been successful, that's a very short list. How about Dan Mullen and Mark Richt? Neither one had any head coaching experience. Uh, so was McGarity just being a puppet for the alumni and the impatient Georgia fans? Do you think Kirby Smart is just a big dummy? Do you think offensive coordinator Jim Chaney could be outwitted by a block of wood? Do you think I'm setting up a segue for a movie about dummies? Because I totally am. It's a movie about dummies. We're going to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Not just any movie about dummies. This is probably the best one. Child's Play is for Idiots. This is Magic. 1979, directed by Richard Attenborough. With Anthony Hopkins, Burgess Meredith, and a still bangable Anne-Margaret. You want to bang her while the dummy watches, admit it. See? Again, you missed this on Dog Nation Daily. And to cover up the stink of that horrible game, I'm going to make the stinkiest omelet ever. It's a three-cheese horseradish omelet. And this is actually smelling pretty good. Now, I got to tell you, I'm cheating a little bit because uh, horseradish gives me fucking agita and I get the Hershey squirties. So I got horseradish cheddar, which isn't nearly as pungent. So I got horseradish cheddar, provolone, and Swiss. In one omelet, it's going to be a fucking fiesta. It's going to be a United Nations meeting of cheese and cholesterol and horseradish spicy goodness in egg form, bitches. I think you really got to get all three cheeses represented here, or else it's just not a three-cheese horseradish omelet. So I'm substituting the horseradish, but not the cheese. I want to say a quick uh, thing about the crowd. I was at the uh, – this was my first game between the hedges. I was at the uh, Georgia Dome for the North Carolina game. And I got to tell you – that was the quietest 92,000 people I've ever heard. Look, just because it's a noon kickoff and Georgia fans show up at the game slightly less drunk, this is between the hedges. This is Sanford Stadium. And you can hear each individual Vanderbilt fan, all two dozen of them that made the trip down from Nashville. And the crowd was an absolute non-factor. I don't want to hear about the 2013 recruiting class. Well, we had one bad class because we had to kick a couple guys off the teams. Yeah, I love that Shaq Wiggins and Josh Harvey Clemens are doing so great for Louisville. But so what? We had the 8th, the 11th, the 6th, the 8th ranked recruiting class in the last three years. That's not so bad. That's a top 10 team every year. Even in our bad fucking recruiting classes. What does Vanderbilt have? Top 30 class? So I want to hear about the lack of talent, okay? Kirby Smart after the game said, it all starts with me. I'll take the blame for this. Yeah, that's what we were thinking. We were thinking of blaming you and offensive coordinator Jim Chaney. We're not blaming Coach Rick anymore. This team ran out of excuses. And maybe at some point, maybe Kirby Smart does win a national championship. Maybe he's the guy. Maybe we have a big fucking hootenanny laugh about this one day. Even so, you're going to have to go back and show film of Isaiah McKenzie being stopped in that fourth and one and say, Kirby Smart era got off to an inauspicious start. You're one losing at home to Vanderbilt at homecoming. It's my announcer voice. It's pretty good, right? And it's not just losing to Vanderbilt homecoming, which is hard for me to even say. And I was at the 1994 game where this happened and got Ray Goff fired. <sighs> it was a game where, as Emma McKenzie was stopped on fourth and inches, the Georgia offensive line allowed nine tackles for a loss. Georgia gained 421 yards of offense to Vanderbilt's 171. Time possession, Georgia 35 minutes and four seconds to Vanderbilt's 25 24 minutes, 56 seconds. 
in a game where the best thing was Rodrigo Blankenship made three field goals. Outside of Blankenship, special teams and coverage has been a disaster. Has crippled us this year. You think they'd be working on this in practice? Opening kickoff, 95-yard return. Guys just standing around looking at each other all confused like they're in a Willie Martinez defense. What the hell were they working on in practice all week? What do people complain about the last 15 years under Coach Richt? Same old Georgia. There's a blood at Ole Miss. Same old Georgia. Choke Tennessee. Choke away a 17-point lead. Same old Georgia. This isn't the same old Georgia. It's worse. But don't let me tell you. Let's ask this fan on the street. How in the hell do you lose to Vanderbilt at home on homecoming? Vanderbilt has not won a road game in the SEC in two damn years. They have no offense. None. Zero. The defense played good, but it's Vanderbilt. They literally have no offense. None. See, that's why I don't tape the podcast right after the game, because that would happen. Well, there's one thing Georgia is leading the SEC in, and that's viral videos of batshit fans. We got the uh, jabroni running through the window against Missouri. That took off. And now we got this cracker screaming. But he was right. He was spot on in everything he said. The lack of improvement, bad special teams, bad offensive line play, inability to establish the run. Nick Chubb, 40 yards. 2.5 yards a carry. So this was a problem against Nickel State, Missouri. And what have Jim Chaney, Kirby Smart, and Sam Pittman done differently? So if Kirby's not the guy, and Tom Herman ends up being a star at his next stop, Georgia could have hired him when they had the chance. Instead, they didn't even bother to interview him. And this year, Tom Herman is sitting pretty. He's going to have his choice of Texas, Notre Dame, LSU, and maybe Auburn. Georgia could have had him, but we had to hire Kirby Smart without even interviewing anyone else. And you know what? He may be the guy. The future is unwritten. But from what I've seen so far, it's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, which, of course, is the definition of madness. It's like they're a sullen, loner ventriloquist who can only express themselves with this malevolent dummy who may or may not be alive. How do you like that fucking segue? Yeah, that's right. I know you've obviously already figured out we're talking about the 1978 Anthony Hopkins film Magic from 20th Century Fox, directed by Richard Attenborough with Anne Margaret and Burgess Meredith. I think it's the best ventriloquist dummy movie ever made. I don't know what that says. But, I mean, you know, we were talking about the tone last week, like that fine line between, like, serious and campy. The tone is everything when you're dealing with something that could be really cheesy and stupid, like ventriloquist. And you really have to have all the key elements working. You have to have a little bit of subtlety, and you have to have a little bit of restraint. It's like the difference between scary and creepy in horror films. It's like, all right, you know, deranged, leather-faced hillbilly coming at you with a chainsaw. Obviously, that's scary. You know why. He's going to, you know, disembowel him, fucking skull fuck you. You don't want that, I don't think. But why are ventriloquist dummies creepy? This is, it's, they're creepy. I mean, they're not in of itself threatening, and that's why I think you have to make the props, the dummy themselves, not threatening. Because if it looks really garish like Chucky, then there's no subtlety. Or another one is uh, Dead Silence. 
Like, the dummy looks creepy, uh, but there's just too much gore too fast in the movie. It doesn't build up like magic does. Let me go back to um, the grandfather of the great ventriloquist movies. There's a British horror anthology from 1945 called Dead of Night. And by today's standards, it's really creepy. And uh, I actually tweeted at R.L. Stein, who, the Goosebumps guy. He wrote all the uh, Goosebumps series. And there's a pretty scary, I think for any age, ventriloquist dummy in that series. Slappy? Slappy's pretty scary. And not that I'm interested in ventriloquism, but if I did have a ventriloquist dummy, he would probably be named Stanley McGillicuddy. And his full name would probably be Stan Waldy and Alistair Van Underdunk, Jules Dwarf McGillicuddy the Fourth, and maybe we hang out. We take in a Georgia game, and maybe we've been talking about the Georgia Vanderbilt game when no one's around. Does make does mean I'm weird. Anyway, Dead of Night. Uh, poor Michael Redgrave gets um, kind of taken over by this evil dummy Hugo, and has him kill a rival of Entrelquist dummy. And I. I R.L. Stein said it was the inspiration for Slappy, and he was tweeting about it, and I tweeted him to ask him where I could get a copy of it, and he just said it's, it's out of print. It's British. It's from 1945. So he didn't really tell me where to get it, but I was just happy that he tweeted at me because i kind of jealous. Um, anyway, um, so Dead of Night's really cool. I got a bootleg of it. The quality is really shitty. It's definitely due for a real, uh, re-release. I don't know who owns the rights. It's uh, If you like horror anthology, this is the best one I've ever seen. And the shit in it is really creepy, and it holds up well, and it has a great twist ending. So if you get Dead of Night, if it's ever going to be reissued, I think there might be a legal thing or whatever, because it was made by some studio that doesn't exist anymore. But that kind of set the template, and Magic perfected it. Because we have to have you know the unhinged, uh, innocent guy, and that was Michael Redgrave. And uh, you know the dummy... And again, it can't look threatening. It has to be kind of this inane thing of uh, the Twilight Zone dummy episode. Uh, they used to use that prop twice. The guy played Willie. And you need sincerity. You can't play it campy. You need this sincerity to sell it. This is where Anthony Hopkins come in. So here's a clip of Anthony Hopkins. And of course, he's method actor. He didn't just, they didn't just dub his voice. It's actually him doing the voice of Fats. One of the more terrifying ventriloquist dummies ever in screen history. Abracadabra, I sit on his knee. Presto, change and now he is me. Hocus, pocus, we take her to bed. Magic is free. We're dead. Josephine Levine presents Magic, a terrifying love story, starring Anthony Hopkins, Anne Margaret, and Burgess Meredith, rated R. All right, I'm going to have fucking nightmares now. So, you know, Anthony Hopkins is not enough just to dub his voice over when Fat speaks. He's all method, and he had to actually learn to be a ventriloquist. He actually learned to throw his voice for the part. And if you think you had, um, you know, a drunk friend cock-blocking you, getting all drunk and punching something during the Georgia game, try having a ventriloquist dummy cock-block you the whole way because he's trying to mount Aunt Margaret as any red-blooded American should. And he can't do it because... Uh, and then Burgess Meredith shows up, and he kills him, of course, and starts to blackmail him there. So, really hard movie um, to market, I, I suppose. I don't think it was a hit or anything, but uh, the tagline, they said it's a, it's a terrifying love story. I mean, it, it, I mean, to put it even in the horror movie category is a stretch, like psychological warfare that this guy goes through. And, you know, you have to buy it, and you do buy it, this kind of ridiculous, campy concept. 
So check it out, Magic, and if that's not good enough for you, it does have my uh, favorite catchphrase right here. And fucking incredibly fan fucking fantastic. We'll see if you can use that in your daily conversation. It's like, hey, I heard Georgia has a top five recruiting class coming in next year. And fucking incredibly fan fucking fantastic. Not only that, Florida has to play LSU and Baton Rouge. Tennessee has to play at Tuscaloosa. And Georgia only has to play from the West, a home game against Mississippi State. And fucking incredibly fan fucking fantastic. And now this omelet's just about done. All right, don't play the sounder. That's actually good news. Sorry, I, I didn't. I flipped it while I was trying to fish for that sound bite. But it's a really good. Uh, I followed the recipe like exactly like it does. It's on foodnetwork.com. Uh, pretty simple. Just add the three cheeses you like best. I think provolone, Swiss, and horseradish cheddar is a great combo if you want to put mild cheddar in there too. I didn't put actual horseradish in it, but it's still. Really tasty. You could use. I threw a little bacon bits in there. I was like the fat guy, white trash way. When I'm too lazy to cook actual bacon, I threw a little bacon bits in there just for flavor. Uh, why not do that? I'm not a professional chef. Uh, you're pretty fat if you're using bacon bits as a condiment. But anyway, it's a good looking omelet. And let me try a bite real quick. It's a little cold now. It is actually really good, and I kind of like it a little bit cold because it's not out and like that cheese just kind of congealed into each other. It's now like perfect. So I don't know, I guess let it sit about five minutes. Did you know Anthony Hopkins is so method he actually murdered Burgess Meredith for that movie? So Rocky Three, it's actually a double, just like Paul McCartney when he died in 1966. All right, so... The other podcasts, I kind of listen to them. I don't listen to them before I write this, but I did listen to it just now. And Brandon Adams, actually, he's not into the Kirby Smart hype either. He's surprised how many fans, really, are making more excuses than uh, the media is. So what I did is I put all the excuses um, on a wheel, you know, like the price is right. And next week, uh, maybe I guess in two weeks when uh, we lose to Florida, we're going to um, spin the wheel, and I have all the excuses on it. Um, 2013 recruiting class, Coach Rick left with a shitty offensive line, rookie head coach, freshman quarterback, bad kicker, noon kickoffs, all these excuses. And the Florida game is a 3.30, so we can't have the noon kickoff excuse. But, you know, like, the dummy's alive and no one knows with you. It's like the psychological terror that's just there's no escape from you feel like in secluded cabins in the woods of upstate new york and magic you feel that dummies behind every shadow and is, is that not jacksonville for our fans every year it's something different and i've seen nothing from this georgia team that makes me think even for a second it's not going to be a horrible massacre in jacksonville this year what would the uga nihilists think um and the weird part is, after uh, reading uh, Dog Nation today and listening to the, their podcast, you know, I think the fans are more into the Kirby Smart hype than the media is. I think they're, they're so, they don't want to face that we may have made a mistake, a huge mistake, a glaring mistake, a mistake of Derek Dooley proportions that could set the whole program back. And we may have to watch Tom Herman have great success at LSU or Auburn. That's a very frightening scenario. And then we'll never get and then have to do the whole thing over again, go through another change, lose more recruits, waste the talents of Eason, just like we're wasting Chubb right now. Uh, so I don't think any Georgia fan wants to ask themselves that question. So they're believing in the sound bites of 
Kirby Smart. And like I said, as of now, it's just hot air. And there's some journalists are saying he's so hands-on, and the Georgia fans were all over that. They loved it because the perception is greater than the reality. The perception that Mark Rick was so hands-off by year 15. He didn't call plays anymore. He didn't coach the quarterbacks anymore. He was kind of like a puppet uh, in this program. And Kirby Smart comes in, I'm going to be hands-on with everything. And he is hands-on with everything. But is he in over his head? I don't know. I only know the results I see on the field. And if you can make a case that anything's changed, it's changed for the worse. And, yeah, I'm I'm willing to take a step or two back to take a a quantum leap forward. But not at the expense of losing to Vanderbilt at home. That's inexcusable. And this isn't a rebuilding year. There's tons of talent on this roster. I'm so tired of hearing that Coach Smart can't win with Rick's guys. He has to win with his own guys. This is what you got. There's no free agency period. All right? You're just going to have to coach him up. And Chip Towers didn't really mince words here. Uh, coaching grade to give them an F. Uh, indecisiveness hurt Georgia at the end of the first half. Smart facilitated between having blanket chip attempt a 54-yard 54 54-yard field goal and attempting a Hail Mary. And, of course, the Hail Mary went nowhere. Overall, F, Georgia shouldn't lose to Vanderbilt at any time, especially this year. This is not a good Commodores team or a team that even played great. This is one of the SEC's weakest offerings, just scooping up gifts laid before them like roses on a runway. That's actually fairly poetic. Bulldogs gave this game away and sent the season off the tracks in the process. Who wants a three-cheese horseradish omelet? All right, look, Kirby Smart is going to continue to get a free pass this year. Uh, within reason, but again, losing to Vanderbilt at home, someone has to take the blame. And now we have Jim Cheney in our sights. Uh, there's an article now, U uh, Sports, and this fellow's name, this Jabron, is Matthew Zemek. And forget about Kirby Smart, Jim Cheney is the weak link for Georgia. And I don't know, Cheney to me was a Interesting hire. It was sort of like Schottenheimer in the way the guy kind of fell upwards. He had a good run at Purdue, uh, and then from Purdue he was at uh, Tennessee, Arkansas, and he didn't really do anything special at either stop. So according to this article, Kirby Smart is basing a 2016 hire on a 2005 successful run. In 2005 at Purdue he had Drew Brees. It doesn't hurt. And, God, just, what, seven games into his career, true freshman, They're already saying that Jacob Eason will never realize his full potential in the pro-style offense under Kirby Smart and Jim Chaney. They're saying this already. Even if it's not true, all this stuff that it's on the table already is such a bad sign. Hey, it's the way of uh, big-time college football. When times get tough, you got to fire your assistants. And how many times have we been saying this under Mark Richt? If Coach Richt can just get the right assistants, if he can just get the right people. We had Willie Martinez... Todd Grantham, Brian Schottenheimer, and now Brian Van Gorder is again fired from Notre Dame. That didn't help them any. I mean, now they lose to NC State. So I don't know about the whole firing the coordinator thing. I don't know if that's really works, but I've been pretty underwhelmed with Jim Chaney so far. I can make a parallel here. I'd rather not draw because I hate him so very much. Todd Grantham. See, Todd Grantham took over for Willie Martinez. And Willie Martinez, when he was defensive coordinator, 
Georgia was hemorrhaging points at a record pace. Georgia, he, Willie Martinez was the face of the overrated Georgia teams, the teams that had A.J. Green, Matt Stafford, no Sean Moreno, the cover of Sports Illustrated, number one ranking, but couldn't stop anybody. Anybody. And Willie Martinez was the face of those teams, and he was replaced by Todd Grantham, who was a slight improvement. Willie Martinez set the bar so low that no one really noticed that Grantham was almost as bad. You know, Grantham was having a great year at Louisville under uh, that scumbag by Petrino with a couple ex-Georgia players. So that brings us to this current situation. Schottenheimer was probably the worst hire in SEC history. He took a top offense, one of the uh, number one or number two offenses in the SEC, and they went from first to dead last. Now, I know Chubb got hurt, but that's not enough. And I know we didn't have Aaron Murray. We didn't have the great quarterback play that we were accustomed to under Coach Richt. But that was a pretty staggering performance. So now, is Jim Chaney the new Todd Grantham? The guy who replaces the guy who set the bar so low that no one's even going to notice how futile it is. And where the Schottenheimer comparison is, you know, where Grantham, they came in with these long resumes, and Grantham had an NFL pedigree with the Cowboys. But he wasn't successful in anywhere, and he wasn't even the defensive coordinator. He was the linebacker's coach. So, I don't know. I, I know that Cheney didn't exactly have a standout tenure at Arkansas or Tennessee. And I remember thinking when he was hired, was anybody's better than Schottenheimer? But it doesn't mean he's the right person for the job. Could that same logic be applied to Kirby Smart? Were people so sick of Coach Rick and the same sound bites, the same unmotivated in big games, the same sloppy, undisciplined football, uh, the same sloppy, undisciplined football we're seeing right now, that they just they just want something different? You know, like our presidential election. <sighs> but that's a whole separate podcast. Look, the jury's still out. It was just a horrible step back. The program is regressing. This year has been a disaster. Those things are facts. I know those. You can't undo them. However, now we have a bye week. And speaking of desperate, we're so desperate for a win in Jacksonville that this will go a long way. And I don't know. You can't erase that game. You can't undo it. You can't undo the miracle finish against Tennessee, the blowout at Ole Miss, or this godforsaken, half-assed, shitty effort at home against Vanderbilt. But obviously a win against our most hated rival will we'll really, you know, everyone can shut up for at least another week. But we're almost out of time. Something real quick that really got overlooked in this game. Jacob Eason has career high, 346 yards. And there was even another questionable Cheney play call before that on third and one, an incomplete pass. So you have third and one, fourth and one, and Georgia has been miserable in short yardage situations all year long. Neither play went to Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle. Even Brian Harriman would have made sense. This is really troubling, and I've got a friend, Chris Pierce. Hey, Chris, I know you listen. He's going to be on soon, and he's, he's the guy who hates Mike Bobo, and I've referenced him a couple times because a lot of Georgia fans will never let Mike Bobo live down the first and goal from the four-yard line at 2014 South Carolina, where he had Todd Gurley averaging eight and a half or nine yards a carry, and they did a back shoulder fade pass, Aaron Murray, and it was called for intentional grounding. And then if Marshall Morgan makes the field goal on fourth down, no one even remembers that, but he didn't. And this thing hangs over Mike Bobo's head to this day. This sequence for Jim Cheney was eerily reminiscent of that Mike Bobo sequence. But I will say this, Mike Bobo broke every school record for offense that we've had. What has Jim Cheney done? So you can point to any coordinator and give a specific play call that they fucked up. 
Hindsight's 2020. Yeah, obviously, you don't have to be fucking Professor Johnny Football to know that the ball should have gone to Chubb. And I think next time, if there's a next time, the, the same damn thing will happen. They will go to Chubb, okay? It was a bad call. Even the good coordinators have the bad call. But this is what troubles me more. Not once in the seven games under Kirby Smart and Jim Chaney have Jacob Eason and Nick Chubb had a good, forget about great, good game in the same game. We never had anything remotely resembling a balanced offense. Missouri, Chaney, uh, Eason throws 55 times and we get a one-point win. South Carolina, Eason has 29 passing yards and the rushing attack has 326 yards. Crazy unbalance. And, and we did it again. It was just Easton, 346 yards. Chubb had 40 yards. So the offensive line is not that bad at protecting the pass, but opening up those holes in the run haven't been good. But I'm tired of hearing that. Again, I've said it every week. Cheney and Smart have to open up some new holes, some new wrinkles, the screen game. You got to adjust your personnel, not the other way around. You can't just tank week in, week out and say, I got to wait for my own guys to get in here. And if you're, you're still making that excuse as a Georgia fan, Shame on you, and we're going to spin the wheel of excuses next week. Thanks, everyone, for clicking. Go Docs, Sikkim, etc. We'll be back in two weeks for the Georgia-Florida debacle. Spin wheel! Spin wheel!